Welcome, everybody, to Encounter. Welcome to a brand new series that we're kicking off today called People Problems. And I've been looking forward to, uh, to this series for a while now um, because I've got a lot of problem people in my... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one for such a long time because uh, I can't wait to dig in uh, to God's Word and hear about His wisdom that He has to help us deal uh, with some of the people that He strategically placed in our lives. Uh, we're going to talk throughout this series about maybe the negative neighbor, the critical coworker. We're going to talk about um, a manipulative family member, or possibly for you, all of the above. And maybe all of the above are going to be gathered at your, your table, your Thanksgiving table later on this month. And it's been a couple years since that has happened. And so what we're doing is we're preparing on how to deal with some of those people. Um, and not just really how to deal with them, but really truly how to love them and express the love of Jesus with them as God has first loved each one of us. Uh, and so to get on kind of the same page, I want to recognize some of that biblical wisdom is that the Bible tells us that when two or three are gathered, one of them is the kind of problem people that we're talking about in this series. Um, now, I'm kidding on that, but I would like to have a little bit of fun with this. So how many of you kind of believe that in every group, in every uh, small group, church group, family group, whatever it is, in, in, in every group there's like at least one problem person in the group that comes up? So show of hands, Fulton Heights, you're invited to participate as well. Yes, keep, keep them up for just a moment. Now look at the people who don't have their hands up and just look at them and say, you're the one in the group. <laughs> you're, the, you're the one. You might not know it yet, but there's, there's always one. Uh, we're talking about uh, we're talking about negative people, critical people. Uh, today we're talking about how to deal, how to love overly uh, overly needy kinds of people. And so uh, throughout our time together, we're recognizing that these are the the kind of people that you pour in, you pour in, you invest in, but it's never it never quite seems to be enough. Uh, we're talking about overly needy people. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe that's a relational thing, right? We're talking about uh, the relative who's, who's lonely and just wants people to come and, and visit them a little more often. But the rare times that you do see them, all you hear about is how lonely they are and how nobody comes around and visits. And you're like, well, maybe some people would want to visit you a little bit more if you didn't just complain about them all of the time. Right? We're talking about the person that, um, that you haven't seen in a long time. In fact, you go in these intervals with not seeing them for a long time, and every time they reach out, it's like, man, I, I'm hoping, I would love uh, for this to be just a friendly reconnection, but instead they're like, hey, listen, I, just, I, got a, I got a financial problem, I'm just trying to make ends meet, and it's just like they need a little more money, a little more money, a little more money, all of the time, and that's all your relationship seems to be really seems to be about. It's the kind of people that you budget a little extra time in the conversation for, the person at work that you spend more time at work, like helping them learn how to do their job than you spend on your own job. Chances are there's like somebody who's coming to mind for you right now, and that's okay. Like just kind of have them in your mind. That's encouraged uh, throughout our time together. But as, as we kind of get on the same page here, uh, I want to kind of I want to uh, introduce some of, the, some of the ground rules, some of the recognition, uh, is that number one, as followers of Jesus, uh, we really, really want to learn how to love even the most overly needy people well. We also recognize that sometimes we pour in and we pour in, and in circumstances, their life doesn't seem to change. And so we recognize that if that's the case, it's possible 
that all of the pouring in and all of the investing that we do doesn't actually help them change. It helps them stay exactly in the place where they are. And that's a problem too. We want to recognize a, a language point around this because sometimes we say the same, like we want to help people. And so a lot of us, like we have somebody in our lives that we just kind of help out uh, from, from time to time. And we say like, oh, over them. Like, yeah, they're my project person. Always got a problem, always got a project. We're kind of working on them. And I just want to bring a little clarity to this, that, that people in need are not projects that we help. They are people that we love. And so we're going to kind of ban the, the project person language from our vocabulary, not just this morning, but kind of throughout. Because we really, truly, as followers of Jesus, we want to love people the best that we possibly can. And so that in mind, we're going to open up God's word, have him open up our lives and hearts and offer us some wisdom on how to deal with people in need. The uh, story takes place in Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read the first verse. You're invited to follow along. We're a phone-friendly church. Uh, the words are going to be on the screen as well. Acts 3 in verse 1, it starts off that one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And I just want to like highlight something we're dropping in on a story that's ongoing in acts chapter three presumably there was an acts chapter two what happened what are we dropping in on acts chapter two was a powerful story acts chapter two the holy spirit came down the holy spirit filled the lives of all of the jesus followers thousands of people came and joined the jesus movement acts chapter three is followed that incredible story by a couple of guys a couple of disciples going to church and i just i love the juxtaposition of the extraordinary act of god in acts 2 and the ordinary rhythms of god's people in acts chapter 3 we look at a, we look at these guys like peter and john and they look like extraordinary individuals and they are they look like extraordinary disciples and they are I think the way that they have become extraordinary was through the very, very ordinary rhythms that God has put in their lives. Reading the Bible, praying regularly, as they're doing here, going to church. We also recognize there's, there's like this streak in all of us and in culture today. I think it, it's, it's a streak in my own heart as well. That it's like, I just want to do my faith in solitude. I, just, I want to exercise and practice my faith alone. Like, God loves me, I love him back, he forgave me, he's my savior, that's it. I want to keep it nice, nice and easy between me and God because that's clean. Faith on its own is clean. People are very, very messy. And when you show up to church, like Peter and John show up to church here, it gets messy really, really quick. And I think that's part of the process is that God is growing an extraordinary faith in each one of us through a very ordinary and through a very messy process of church, of community, of grouping, of serving. I also love that they show up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's a detail that's, pointed, that's uh, just pointed out there. It's not a throwaway detail. It's the time that Jesus died. And they're not showing up for a sacrifice worship hour because Jesus was the once and all for all sacrifice, they're showing up for prayer at three o'clock. There's just something extra for them at that point. That has nothing to do with anything today about needy people. I just thought it was a cool detail and I wanted to include that for you. You're welcome. That's Acts one, uh, 3 verse 1. Acts 2. Uh, now there was a man who was lame from birth 
that was being carried to the temple called Beautiful, temple gate called Beautiful, uh, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. For the temple gate to be called Beautiful, it's probably a pretty nice gate, right? (laughs) Ah, Fun fact about this gate, Josephus, the historian, writes about this. He goes, 75 feet tall, made of Corinthian brass. Josephus, a historian, writes, uh, it far exceeded other inferior gates made out of materials like gold and silver. Like, who needs that? This gate, to call it beautiful, was an understatement. Now, I like the fact that this guy strategically has himself put at the most impressive gate around so that as people were coming out of church, he could ask them for money. Like, I just want to highlight um, respect to the guy. He knows what he's doing. He's done this before. It happens every day. It's like as, uh, it's like as you're heading out of Costco and your minivan is bottoming out from all of the groceries that you had to buy while you're in there and probably an inflatable stand-up paddleboard too because like why not? They sell it, right? And you have just so much stuff and you're coming and there's always somebody on the corner of Costco like asking like need help, hungry, anything helps. And you're like you can't help but, but do something about that. There's this excess coupled with the need that necessitates, that triggers something very, very emotional inside of each one of us. And we're the same as they were then. Now listen, listen to what happens in the story. So they come up, beautiful gate, he's there. Verse 3, when this guy, when he saw Peter and John about to enter in, he asked them for money, that's the plan. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. Like, come on, come on. Eyeballs here. Eyes on me. So the man gave them his attention, his full attention, expecting to get something from them because he knows how it works, right? He knows that he's eliciting this emotional reaction inside of them. Beautiful gate coupled with somebody in need. He's persistent. He's consistent. It's just about to pay off for them. Give me some money. Verse 6, then Peter Peter looks at him and says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he goes, walk. Taking him by the right hand, Peter, he helps him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. I want us to recognize that what's happening He was asking for money. Peter and John met him with a need, with meeting a need far deeper than just money. In fact, I think it's also probably true that Peter and John met him with a need far deeper than one of mobility as well. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Instead of a hand out to make them feel better, they give him a hand up to make him get better. You see this difference, right? Because, because sometimes when we see the guy in the corner or the person at the office or the lonely relative, the needy person in your life, sometimes we give out of, out of emotion instead of strategy. And so we're going to have a, a few takeaways here. The first one is that we give strategically. 
as followers of Jesus, we recognize that it's possible to actually do more harm than good in our giving process. And so we need to separate these things and not give in such a way that just makes me feel better, but actually gives in such a way that, may, that helps them, the person receiving, helps them get better in meeting not just their wants, not just their needs, but actually underneath it all, their very, very deepest need. We recognize that it's going to take longer. That it often, meeting the deepest need takes more time, more effort, it takes more prayer, it probably takes more resources than in that moment that we're prepared to give. Now I want to share a story with you, and I don't feel good about it. It doesn't have a happy ending. It happened to me, and I and I want to share this story with you because I think there's probably someone in the room or somebody watching, and you could probably relate. Uh, one, of the, one of the surprises uh, in my life that as a pastor, when we moved as a church um, from, the, from the school cafeteria into, into a very uh, grown-up building of our own, that I didn't anticipate is that there would be people just casually walking by or driving by down Kalamazoo Avenue here, and they would see the name of the church. And it doesn't matter what the name was. What matters was that it ends in church. And just by the very fact that it says church means that there's probably somebody inside that I could ask for money with any story, and there's a good chance that they're going to give it to me. And honestly, I kind of love that. I, I love that, like, church or Jesus has the reputation that, like, literally anybody just walking by could be like, you know that building? Never been there before. But there's probably someone in that building that's going to give me some money if I ask him for it. Like, what else? Who else does that? So I just, I was so, like, struck with that. Uh, when, when we first moved in. And then the novelty started wearing off over time. You know, and then more and more people would stop in. And it would always have kind of the same cycle. Where somebody would stop in, they'd ask for, for a, they'd tell me a story, they'd provide the, the need, and ask if I could do something or somebody around here could do something to help meet that need. And oftentimes we, we can and we do. But this one woman came in at a particular time. It was later in the week. It was later in the day. And my family will be the, the first ones to say that as I approach uh, the weekend and Sunday morning, my anxiety just has a way of growing. And so I'm alone in the building at the time. This woman comes in, and it's late in the day. It's, it's late in the week. And I just, I just want to get back to work. She shares with me her story, presents her need, and asks for some help. And I'm... I didn't want to do anything. So I just, I quick, I, I reached in my wallet. I looked in there. I had 20 bucks and I said, I don't have much. Would you just take this? Would 20 bucks be okay? And she said, thank you and left. And in that moment, I realized that I had just paid her to leave me alone. And it doesn't feel good. And I'm not proud of that story. And I really share that with you because there's probably people in your life. And maybe you're walking around, and you see somebody in the corner with a sign, your kids are asking, like, what's that all about? Or somebody asks you for help at work again. And you'll help out, and you'll just chip in the minimum amount required, not actually to help them, 
but to leave you alone so you can get on with your day. I want us to remember that when we give, we give strategically. We give not a way to make us feel better, but to help them actually get better. I want us to be reminded of the placement of this story in Acts chapter 3, following quickly on the heels of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the followers of Jesus then, and on the followers of Jesus today. I want us to recognize something, that when we're presented with people in need, this is God's timing and God's opportunity, not just to meet an emotion, but to meet a deep need. And the same spirit of God that was living inside of James and Peter, sorry, and Peter and John that day, that same spirit is living in each side, in inside of each one of us today. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is living inside of each of us today. When we give, we give strategically. That means that God has gifted you and I with the supernatural presence of God in our lives to discern what those needs are and what those needs actually are. When I'm presented with an opportunity, I know there's a voice in my head, there's a voice in my heart that says, it's not 20 bucks, the need isn't the need doesn't have even a dollar sign attached to it. It goes so much deeper. I know, I hear that voice. It's the voice of God's spirit whispering into my life. Do something else. There's a discernment process that can take place. And, and step one in this is just an encouragement to say, listen, don't give emotionally. We give strategically. Not to help us feel better, but to help somebody else actually get better. Number one, we give strategically. We hear from the story that we also help wisely. So as a, as a pop quiz time, in Fulton Heights, you're invited to participate as well. Where were John and Peter, where were they going when this story took place? They're going to pray. They're going to church, right? They're going to recharge. They're going to, to get re-energized for the, for the work week ahead, like these are people that are, that are teaching courageously and they're giving generously and they're listening compassionately like all day long, all week long and they're just drained and they go to pray so they can recharge and reconnect with their maker because they recognize an important truth that you can't pour out of an empty cup. You can't say yes regularly if you don't say no, sometimes. We see Peter and we say John taking time out of teaching, out of giving, out of listening, out of loving, and simply to pray in the presence of God. We see Jesus, God, recognizing his own limitations as a human teaching courageously, giving generously, loving compassionately, pulling back in the rhythm that we're instructed in the gospel. The rhythm is that he pulls back in solitude again and again and again. Why? Because he knows he can't pour out of an empty cup. He can't say yes regularly if he doesn't say no occasionally. And he recharges we give strategically, we help 
wisely. The group, <laughs> the group that I think understands this, this recharging, possibly more than any group. That's dangerous territory for me here, but, but I'm going to introduce it anyway. The group that gets this is parents of young kids, particularly those of you who, uh, who are stay-at-home parents with those kids. I mean, wow. <laughs> the neediest human beings in the universe are also the smallest human beings in the universe, right? Like, I need you. I need help. I need this. I need this. I need help feeding myself. I need help cleaning myself. I need help turning on the TV to watch some cartoons. I need so much help. And what do some of you, do? some of us do? Some of you, like, just to get a little recharge time, like 30 seconds up to two minutes. Oh, man, if you could only get just two minutes. And you go in your house, you go into the bathroom of your house because that door has a lock on it. And it's not a lock to keep adults out because adults can knock, right? But kids need to be locked out of the room. And so you can just have two minutes all to yourself to just breathe but they heard you breathing and now there's footsteps coming after you because you couldn't do it in secret and there's banging on the door and there's mom i need help i need you i need help banging on the door and then the the banging stops and you know what's coming next it's the little fingers underneath the door isn't it trying to pull the door open i need you i need help this is this is why when you get on an airplane i give you the same speech every single time and they tell you that in the, in the event of an emergency, an oxygen mask is going to be deployed from the ceiling. First, put the oxygen mask on your own face before picking which child left you alone the longest and is now your favorite in assisting them. No, just kidding. You, you put the oxygen mask on all of them, but you have to help yourself first. We help wisely. Why? Because you can't pour out of an empty cup. You can't say yes regularly if you don't say no occasionally. We give strategically, we help wisely. And you guys, the last one from the story is that we have to trust completely. I mean, think about this for just a minute. Peter and, Peter and John walk by this guy who's in obvious need and asking for help. And the audacity that they had the radical trust that they had to walk this guy and to demand his full attention. And he's thinking he's going to get an extraordinary gift. And he's right, just not the one he thought he was going to get. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk the trust that they must have had in the presence and power of God. You know, there's a, there's a story, I think, that illustrates this well, and it might be legend, uh, full disclosure. Uh, but the story goes like this. It was at the, it was at the height of the, uh, of the opulence and extravagance of the, of the Roman church in the Middle Ages. And there's a cardinal walking alongside a lowly monk. And they're walking through the streets. And the cardinal looks at the admittedly impressive structures all around. And the cardinal looks at the lowly monk and he says, no longer do we have to say that silver and gold we do not have. 
And the lowly monk just looks over at the mighty cardinal and says, yeah, but neither can we in good faith still say that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And I like that story. As difficult it is, as hard as it is, I like the story because it highlights an important truth for all of us. That apart from the presence and the power of God, we have nothing to offer. Silver and gold are not the solution. The power and the presence of God is. Now, we introduced this concept last week and we said that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And we take that a step further this week and we recognize something. That God has recognized that every single one of us has a need. At the very least, we have a need for forgiveness. We have a need for grace. We have a need for forgiveness. We have a need of a Savior. We have a need for heaven. But beyond that, we have human needs as well, don't we? Some of us have financial needs. Others have emotional needs. Others have physical needs. Others have spiritual needs. And just imagine, for, from God's perspective, what he has done is that he has, he has recognized that we all have different kinds of needs and the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground and, and we have these needs along the way. And he goes, some of your needs are going to be met with other people who are just as needy, but just like not in that way. So they have something to pour out too. And then in the pouring out too, maybe there's a physical need and then I meet that physical need with a with a, with a social need, and then now my social need that I was giving out, now that is, is filled up because I was able to help. And, and God is like stepping back and going, I love how our needs are met in the giving and in the sharing. And outside of the presence and the power of God, we really truly have nothing to offer. Sometimes we think mistakenly that if a need is going to be met, it has to be met through me. And I guess I want to challenge that this morning and say, if you think that you are the only way that God could meet a need, like with all due respect, your God is far too small. No, no, no. God honors us by involving us in the process of meeting those needs. It's an honor to be used by him to help meet a need and at the same time help one of our needs be met. So we, we give strategically, we help wisely, we trust completely, and let, let's meet some needs together. Uh, you, you may have received this card when you came in. Doing Good Month kicks off here at Encounter. This is November. It's strategically chosen in the month of November because, I mean, 
Christmas shopping starts to come into full season as we head towards the end of the month. There's this idea of, of excess that we have. And, and one of God's ways to safeguard our hearts from becoming greedy and, and closed-fisted is actually an act of generosity, of breaking that closed fist open to an open palm. And so doing good month is, is our response to that. And so what we do is we... Um, as we partner with an organization, we partner with an agency, and, and do something extraordinarily well. Because sometimes, sometimes we see the need in the world, and we're just overwhelmed by it all. It's just way too much. And I think there's no possible way that I can do that much for, for everybody. And you're right. You know, each one of us, we can't. But I love this little motto, and I live by this motto, is do for one what you wish that you could do for all. So we identify like one family or, or one need, one individual, some, one thing that we can fix, that we can, that we can match, that God's generosity can well up through each one of us, and in the name of Jesus, God can make a difference through our generosity. And so this year, Doing Good Month, we, we recognize that God has been at work uh, throughout the world, and one of the areas that breaks his heart as well as so many of our hearts um, is we're watching a couple months ago news cycles, uh, pictures flashing around on the screens as Afghanistan is falling and violence and fear is escalating. And you, you guys have, have seen some of those pictures of people like hanging off from planes, desperate to find any kind of safety. I brought a picture with us here. This is a picture of a military plane, not made for people kind of cargo, but nevertheless, there they are anyway. It's 640 people just crammed into this little space, standing shoulder to shoulder, desperate to get out, desperate to find safety. Now that was like months ago. And it's been a while since then. And the news cycle has kind of like moved on. But like the planes didn't stop filling up. The, the need of, of people trying to find some kind of safety didn't stop. And so we wanted to do something about that. And so we partnered with people who know a lot more about this world than I do or really probably most of us do. Uh, Bethany Christian Services and what they do is, is they work with the national government to, to help locate and to help relocate uh, refugee families in crisis fleeing specifically Afghanistan and relocate them right here as our neighbors in West Michigan. And we partnered with them and asked like, what, what's a specific need that you have? And they said, we really want to give these families and individuals a warm welcome. And what they mean by that, a warm welcome is when they left, the planes are so filled. They weren't able to take luggage. They weren't able to take toiletries. They weren't able to take a spare anything. It was literally the clothes on their back and nothing else at all. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to try to explain to a four-year-old, a six-year-old, that they can't take their favorite stuffed animal with them to a brand new country permanently. And so they said, the biggest thing is this November, and we're heading in, we're heading into December and January in Michigan, and they've never heard the term lake effect snow before, is a warm welcome. It's somebody to meet them with hats and gloves and mittens and snow pants and coats. And to meet that physical need in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We can meet that need. 
And so this is the, this is the pitch for doing good month, all month long. You're going to keep on hearing about this, so you might as well get on the bandwagon early. Is I'm asking everybody to pull out your phones. I want to see blue glows on. I know you guys have phones. We see them all, all the time, okay? Pull out your phone. There's a QR code in the seat back in front of you. Fulton Heights is the same. If you're watching online, you can go to encounterchurch.org slash doinggood. And you can visit the website and click on doing good if you're following the, the QR code. And we want to have some fun with this. Uh, Galatians says, don't get weary of doing good, for we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So we want to have some fun and not grow weary with this. And, and so here's the, here's the pitch. Here's the, the, the sales pitch on it all. For one low, low price this month of $29.95, you can provide a code to a family in need. $29.95. This is, this is the pitch. It sounds a little gimmicky, and we're just trying to have a little bit of fun with it. But you can click on doing good and make a one-time gift of $29.95. How did we come up with the very specific number of $29.95? I will be very honest with you. After hearing what the need was, a few of us at church, we Googled how much a winter coat is, and the first ones that popped up were like $29.95. And so we're like, that's our number. It's one, it's one coat for one individual in need to provide a warm welcome for some of the most needy people on the planet right now and who are now also our literal neighbors. $29.95, we're gonna hit it all month long. So again, let's just jump on the bandwagon early and get this thing done so I can announce it next week. Hey, this is where we are. This is what God was able to accomplish through each one of us. Encounter doesn't keep any of the money for ourselves. It goes to a different form, a different fund. It all goes to help specifically those families in need this season. If you're looking at it and going, man, I'm in need. I don't have $29.95 to give. I, I'm the person who needs that winter coat. That's okay. But giving is such an incredible opportunity that we want 100% of us watching online, here in the room, Fulton Heights, 100% of us to participate with this. And so if you've got to move the decimal point to make that thing happen, $29.95 doesn't look at $2.95, that's okay. We're meeting needs together. We're doing for one what we wish we could do for everybody. And maybe God has so extravagantly blessed you in generosity this year. And so maybe you're looking at it and going, man, I think, I think that discernment, Holy Spirit power we heard about in Acts 2 is nudging me to move the decimal place the other way. $2,995, $299, like whatever the case is. Move the decimal place to however God has blessed you and let's meet some needs as a church community in the name of Jesus today. 100% participation, QR code, website slash doing good. Next week, we're going to have stations set up here at Kenwood and at Fulton Heights. And you can donate those mittens, donate those hats. You go to the website. You can learn a lot more about Bethany, a lot more about the, uh, the crisis situation that's unfolding. We can't help Afghanistan. But we can't help just one. May we not grow weary of doing good. Church, I want to invite all of you to stand up as we pray together, as we go into the presence of God, and we have a prayer team set up in the back of church. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you have a need, and you'd like to talk to somebody about that need. 
We would like to talk with you. We would like to pray with you over that specific need this week. As we end our time in this song, I want to recognize that it feels a little weird sometimes maybe to be on your phone, and a lot of you are doing that already. And that's okay. Singing is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. It's okay to give while you're still singing a song as a church community. It's no less worshipful. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, one more time, you have met our needs. God, you have more than met the needs that we have. You have met our needs by bringing us to this place. You've met our needs by the people we get to sing and worship next to. God, you have met our deepest needs in you, a Savior. You've met our need for heaven. You've met our need for grace and forgiveness again and again and again. We are overwhelmed, Lord, with your goodness. And as your goodness flows to us and through us, we ask Jesus Christ of Nazareth that you receive all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In your name, amen.